Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. History and prophecy are converging into congruency right before our eyes. And it's not just about Ukraine, and it's not just about Russia. It's also about Israel. And so today here on Viewpoint... We're going to take a look at what is really going on, and uh, quite frankly, we're going to focus on Israel today. We're going to focus on the role of the Russian-Ukrainian opposition and also how the United States and the Biden administration are responding to that, how all of this is affecting Israel, and we're going to see how it is having an amazing effect on fulfilling biblical prophecy. So, welcome aboard. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. I have in front of me a silver coin. It's a silver coin called the Temple Coin. It has a picture of the Persian king, Cyrus, and the image of Donald Trump superimposed on top of it. That's right. And on the back, as I finger it, is an image of the temple. The third temple, as is it intended to be built. Why would this be important? Well, we'll find out. It's going to be important because another coin is being issued. In fact, it's being issued as we speak from Israel, again, focusing on the temple and the temple mount. And so we want to talk about that here today on Viewpoint, even as we talk about the flood of refugees that are coming into Israel from Ukraine. What is this all about? Does the Biden administration have anything to do with it, pro or con? Could it be that it also harks back to another administration called the Obama administration? Is it possible, then, that the United States is in a quandary? It's in a quandary as to whether or not the United States will indeed favor Israel or not. Whether indeed we will be Israel's friend or will play games internationally and actually become Israel's foe. One writer, a predominant, very, very uh, well-respected uh, reporter there in Israel, commentator, has said, America is betraying Israel, just totally betraying Israel. Here's the headline, Washington's betrayal has only just begun. Carolyn Glick. Israel National News. Washington's betrayal has only just begun. Now, that's not sounding real happy, is it? That's not sounding real positive for us if indeed the Scripture says those who bless Abraham and his descendants would be blessed and those who curse Israel and or Abraham's descendants would be cursed. So where do we stand? Where is all of this leading? 
Today we take our focus off, specifically off of Russia and Ukraine, and we take a look more specifically at the implications for what is taking place with Israel and biblical prophecy. So, again, I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, and I welcome you aboard. Here's the headline from the Jerusalem Post today. Increasing the number of refugees allowed into Israel is the right thing. Increasing the number of refugees to be allowed into the country, Israel, beyond the estimated 200,000 Ukrainian Jews and their relatives eligible to immigrate under the law of return, is the right thing to do. I want you to think about this. 200,000. 200,000 Ukrainian Jews and their relatives eligible to immigrate under the law of return that's already in place in Israel in order to protect the Jewish connection and uh, understanding of what it means to be an Israeli already set to come to Israel. How has this happened? It's triggered by this war, the attack of Russia on Ukraine. Regardless of what you think about the attack of Russia on Ukraine, and there are so many different ideas, so many different thoughts that are coming forth, it's quite amazing, and we're going to have to talk about that in another program, perhaps Friday, if the Lord permits. But for now, we focus specifically on this prophetic fulfillment that is taking place right now in Israel and throughout the world. Why is this important? Because the Bible makes it very clear, starting in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, that even though God dispersed and would disperse the Jewish people, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he took out of Egypt with a mighty hand, a mighty hand, and would disperse them because of their rebellion, because of their sin, as he had promised. He also promised at the same time that he would bring them back. He would bring them back. Why would God bring them back if he spread them in order to fulfill his uh, righteousness and to prepare and provide proper discipline to the children of Israel, who he claimed to be his sons and daughters. Why would he do that? Well, he would do it because he's God, because he keeps his word. God keeps his word whether you and I do or not. Jesus made our words very important. He said, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words are very important to God. Words should be more important to us than they are. We like to say that we believe in the word of God because his word can be trusted. Well, if God's word can be trusted, why can't ours if we claim to be his sons and daughters? It's a big deal. Much bigger than you and I would ever imagine. Because Jesus said it from his own mouth. By your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. 
Out of the abundance of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's true for us. It's true for all humankind made in God's image. Because the mouth, you see, God has ordained to be the expression of words which are like containers of what we believe, faith, unbelief. Our words are containers uh, almost like uh, molecules of our belief, our unbelief, our trust, our lack of trust, and so on. A rebellion or a lack of obedience. Words are critically important. So when God speaks and says that he's going to bring the children of Israel back, he means what he says, and he's going to keep that word no matter what they do. No matter what Israel does, he's going to keep his word. Stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. What many Gentiles around the world, even Christian Gentiles, do not believe or do not remember is that Russia was actually responsible for a million or more Jews making their way back to Israel after the Iron Curtain fell. Over a million came to Israel because of the Russian pogroms. But when, when the Iron Curtain fell and the USSR came apart and the Russian Federation was installed, Jewish people, over a million, made Aliyah, that means to go up or return to Israel. And from the Jewish position, anything returning to Israel means to go up. And anything going toward Jerusalem means to go up even the more so. So the Jewish people always went up to Jerusalem from wherever they were. And if they were in Jerusalem, they always went down to wherever it was they were going. To go up. To make Aliyah. This is what's happening in the world right now. Israel National News had a piece from a commentator, Dr. Sam Minskoff, who said, would an influx of thousands of non-Jews from war-torn Ukraine upset the status and concept of the Jewish state? The answer is, yes. So what is Israel supposed to do? You see, Dr. Sam Minskoff is an Aliyah consultant at Israel National News, and he talks about the dangers of non-Jews from the Ukraine settling in Israel as diluting the concept and status of the Jewish state. He said what seems to be a humanitarian policy could well be the beginning of the dissolving of Israel as a Jewish state. 
I want you to, in order to understand this, in the greater picture of what's taking place, I want you to consider that in the last year or so, approximately 2 million non-citizens, illegal uh, immigrants, have come across our southern border. 2 million. Now, if Dr. Sam Minskoff is concerned about the influx of thousands of non-Jews into the Jewish state, compromising or dissolving even the meaning of Israel as a Jewish state, then what do 2 million coming in in just one year under the Biden administration, without identity, what does that mean for the future of America? You see, this is exactly what the Democratic Party has in mind, and that is to change the face of America, to completely change the identity of America and its function in the world by by filling the United States with such an abundance of immigrants coming in who have no direct interest or concern about this country, who have no real knowledge about this country, and many of whom may be uh, criminals, may be, uh, well, there are all kinds of problems. Drug dealers, and they're being allowed to come in, essentially to invade the country for the purpose of changing the electrical electoral face of the country. That's what Joseph Biden is doing. That's what Barack Obama did. That was their intent. That's the intent of the Democrat Party. Now they claim that it's for well, it's 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 to help people uh, humanitarian. It's it's humanitarian. But they're using that as a cover for intended dramatic change internally. Now, in Israel, they're not looking for that kind of internal dramatic change. They're trying to protect the very character of Israel as a Jewish state. So if they bring in untold thousands of non-Jews as under a humanitarian policy, what are they going to do? Ultimately, unless they have them corralled and identified and can actually find a way to make sure that they don't stay, they ultimately will change not only the political but every other facet of Israel and its identity. This is a big deal. It is a very, very big deal. But our focus today is primarily not on those who are non-Jews immigrating or making their way to Israel, but those who are Jews. And it's not just Ukrainian Jews that we're dealing with. This came from the Jerusalem Post uh, yesterday. Tens of thousands of Ukrainian Jews to apply to make Aliyah, which again means to go up. 
This period in time is reminiscent of the late 1980s when then-Prime Minister Yitzhak Shamir accurately predicted the opportunity that the fall of the Soviet Union presented Israel and mobilized the country to facilitate the arrival of approximately one million olim, that is, immigrants, Jewish immigrants, into in the years to follow. That immigration reinforced the value of Israel's existence as a Jewish homeland, whereas the welcoming of non-Jewish residents under humanitarian causes does just the opposite. We need to understand that. We need to understand that here in this country as well. One refugee was 89-year-old Anna Galonika of Ukraine. She recalled escaping Nazi Germany as a child and once again is on the run. So she was speaking from a shelter and she said that she had the same feelings of fear that she did back then, escaping from Nazi Germany. She said, I fled the Nazis and now I'm fleeing the Russians. No one believed the Russians would do such a thing, she said, until the last minute when it happened. In Ukraine today, there are approximately 200,000 people who are eligible to immigrate to Israel under the Jewish or Israeli law of return. But in Russia, estimates range between four and 500,000 Jews who remain there. Well, guess what? If they want to return... God will make sure they do. And perhaps it's this exact war situation that is going to set the stage or is already setting the stage for that to happen. Now, you could say, one could say, well, is God causing this war? Is God causing Russia to attack Ukraine so as to release the Jews from Ukraine and Russia? so as to fulfill his uh, call that they come back in the end of the age, at the end time, to Israel, to fulfill God's promise to the people? No, I don't think it's so much that God caused it, but he allows the circumstances, he uses man's mind and heart and decisions to accomplish his will. That's how he works. Usually. And so that's what we're seeing. To recognize Olim, that is, the immigrants, Jewish immigrants from Ukraine, as immigrants escaping a war zone, makes them eligible to receive a larger government Aliyah grant. So when they come, a single uh, immigrant, Jewish immigrant, will receive uh a, a specified amount, a couple will receive almost double that, and a family will receive almost three times what the individual would receive. Israel is prepared to provide that to facilitate the Jewish people making Aliyah because they believe that it's one of the most important things that a Jew can do. They call it a, mikv- a mitzvah, which is a... 
shall we say, an act of obedience, as they view it, an act of obedience and faith to return to the homeland, or Eretz Israel. This is what's happening. And it's not just the Israeli, it's not just the uh, Ukrainian Jews. We're going to see Russian Jews again, making their way again. There are more than double the number of Jews in Russia still than there are in Ukraine. That means that somewhere around three-quarter of a million Jews are likely to come from Russia and Ukraine to Israel as a result of this war. God is keeping his word, even though the Jewish people have not kept theirs. God entered into a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. It was a marriage covenant. He said, if you will, I will. If you'll obey my voice, then I will do this, that, or the other. So they said, we do. In other words, they entered into a marriage covenant. God is keeping his word because he's God. The people have not kept their word, and therefore they were dispersed throughout the face of the earth over a period of 2,700 years. Now, since 1948, they're in the process of being brought back. Brought back from the dispersion. And that's why the Jewish people outside of Israel are called the diaspora, or the dispersion. But the dispersion is in the process of ending. Now, here's what we need to understand. The Bible says very clearly that when the ta- that there's going to be an end to the time of the Gentiles. And when the time of the Gentiles ends, then the entire focus of the world will be on Israel. So from God's viewpoint, Israel is the epicenter of the world. And the epicenter of Israel is Jerusalem. And the epicenter of Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. And so as we move forward with today's program, we're going to see how all of this is moving inexorably toward an increasing focus on the Temple Mount. This is very big. There is no temple on the Temple Mount. But the Jewish people need one on the Temple Mount. And the reason the Jewish people need a temple on the Temple Mount is because they are incapable from the viewpoint of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they are incapable of offering the necessary sacrifices for atonement. Because the Torah requires that those sacrifices be made by appointed priests with very specific requirements and that they be made at the temple. But there is no temple. Therefore, ever ever since 70 A.D., when the Romans destroyed the second temple, 
the Jewish people have been without their ability to carry out the required biblical atonement. Yom Kippur, atonement. So, they feel and are deeply convinced that the most important thing to happen is to rebuild the temple. And we're going to see that even this week, something is going to take place in Israel that is going to move very quickly toward that goal. But before we get to that, the Jerusalem Post today made another announcement concerning Aliyah, but not from Ukraine and not from Russia. Where would the Jerusalem High Court, the Sanhedrin, decide to allow Aliyah this time? It's pretty big. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today, we're unveiling the uh, interesting intersection or convergence of biblical prophecy and history as it relates to the war of Russia against Ukraine and its echoing effects throughout the world, particularly in Israel. Yesterday, Israel's High Court of Justice decided to remove an interim order which had halted the immigration of Ethiopian Jews to Israel. Why Ethiopian Jews? Maybe you didn't even know there were Jew- Ethiopian Jews. They're called Falashmura. And they had been waiting for years, decades, to come or make Aliyah to Israel. They have gone through great suffering in order to fulfill what they believe is a holy mandate and obligation to go to Eretz Israel, the promised land. But who are these people? It's believed that they are the descendants of Solomon and perhaps the Queen of Sheba. Now, I'm not going to try to speak more to that or convince you of that, but they are called Falashmura, and they have identified by the Israeli authorities and courts as eligible to make Aliyah 
under the law of return to Israel. Yesterday, the high court in Israel removed the barrier for these Ethiopian Jews to come. Right now, it will allow about 3,000 Ethiopians to immigrate with the possibility of expanding the number in the near future. Ethiopian Aliyah constitutes a crucial moral issue for the Jewish people, declares the Jerusalem Post today. Now, you see, all of this is happening right now. There are things that trigger biblical events that are prophesied in the Bible. Triggering events. And it is high time that we as Gentile Christians recognize them. It is also appropriate and high time that the Jewish people begin to recognize them because they lead to the whole concept, the whole question of who is the Messiah. And that's why, as we speak, my latest book, Messiah, Unfolding, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, is at typeset. It will come out probably in June. I hope you'll be looking for it. It is going to open your eyes in an amazing way as to how the entire world, in one way or the other, has a messianic expectation. Not the kind of messianic expectation you would think of, but then again, you have to get inside their minds in order to understand what the barriers are. But for today, we continue to focus on, two, how prophecy is being fulfilled in the returning of Jews to Israel. Adam Berkowitz, in Israel 365 News, declared the Biden administration is trying to block Jerusalem from fulfilling prophecy of returning Jews to Israel. Now, this is a pretty big deal, don't you think? Since God said to Abraham, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So the United States has historically, at least in many ways, been a friend of Israel. The U.S. State Department has always been an enemy of Israel and was used by the Obama administration to do everything it could to elevate the Islamic world, including Iran, and to diminish Israel. That's a truth. Now, as we look at this article, we're going to see that is exactly the viewpoint in Israel. Israel has struggled to remain neutral, maintaining relations with Ukraine and Russia, a position that has allowed the Israeli prime minister to act as a mediator. But the Aliyah law of return, establishing Israel as the homeland and refuge of the Jewish people, while carrying out the prophesied ingathering of the exiles, has proved problematic, garnering criticism from the U.S. Well, who on behalf of the U.S.? The Biden administration. 
The prophecy of Jews returning to their homeland was prophesied by both Isaiah and Jeremiah and is a right granted by the state of Israel to Jews worldwide. But among the new Olim, that is the uh, uh, the Jews making Aliyah return, are several dozen non-refugee Russian oligarchs who received Israeli citizenship over the past several years under the law of return. In other words, they are legally Jews and entitled to make their residence in Israel. In an interview, though, the U.S. Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Newland, called on Israel to join the group of countries that have sanctioned Israel, excuse me, sanctioned Russia. She said, what we're asking, among other things, is for every democracy around the world to join us in the financial and export control sanctions that we have put on Putin. She says, you don't want to become the last haven for dirty money that's fueling Putin's wars. Now, indirectly, what she's saying is, don't let in these oligarchs who already have Israeli citizenship under the right of return. They're Jews, they have Israeli citizenship, but she said, don't let them in. Well, that's creating a problem for Israel. This special class of new immigrants puts Israel in a very difficult position. A worried Israeli government has formed a high-level committee to see how the country can maintain its status as a haven for any Jew without running afoul of the biting sanctions targeting Putin's inner circle. It should be remembered that Israel has taken in an estimated one million immigrants from the Soviet Union in its dissolution in 1991. Rabbi Anselm said, we are the Jewish nation. That must always be our primary concern. We are carrying out the prophetic mandate to return the exiles to the promised land. He was referring, by the way, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 3, where it says, Then Hashem, your God, will restore your fortunes and take you back in love, and he will bring you together again from all the peoples where Hashem, your God, has scattered you. In other words, he'll fulfill his side of the bargain, regardless of what you did. He said, we are the only refuge for Jews, whether they are rich or poor. So the rabbi said, we are not the United Nations and do not answer to any external political agenda. Now, this is interesting because the prime minister of Israel, Mr. Bennett, has actually uh, said, we're not going to get involved in this war. That brings us to the feature editorial article in Israeli National News by Carolyn Glick, Washington's betrayal has only just begun. Betrayal of what? Betrayal of Israel. What's she talking about? Well, we'll find out what she's talking about very soon. But before we do, I want to make available to you my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, because he's coming. He's coming soon. 
$22 will put the book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. I do not believe you're going to be disappointed. It's going to open your eyes to things about this coming beast empire headed by an individual referred to as the beast who also is called the Antichrist, a counterfeit Christ, an imposter. Now, in addition to that, I also want to refer you to my book, King of the Mountain. Because in that book, it reveals to you the dynamics of what have been taking place in our world since creation. In fact, actually before creation, when Satan, Lucifer, encountered God in the temple of the heavens and rebelled, he was kicked out and began a trajectory of history and prophecy that is now being fulfilled dramatically right in front of our eyes. As you read that book, you are going to have your eyes opened and so that the things that are taking place right now are going to become very real to you. You're going to see them in very different a, a very different uh, lens than just traditional geopolitical uh, back and forth wars and rumors of wars. No, it's a much bigger picture than that. It's much more defined than that as well. Because it is said, he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. Oh, now we're back to the Temple Mount again. We'll get there when we come back from this break after we hear from Carolyn Glick. Stay tuned, friends. First the betrayal, and then back to the Temple Mount. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Washington's betrayal has only just begun. 
That's the headline of the editorial article by Carolyn Glick in Israeli or Israel National News, Arut Sheva, yesterday. It's a very long piece, so I want to distill what she has said in ways that help us to keep focused exactly on what this betrayal is and what it means for all of us. She says Biden's policies are the polar opposite of Donald Trump's. Biden's policies represent a reinstatement and escalation of Barack Obama's policies for Iran and the wider Middle East. Why bring Iran back into it? Because Mr. Biden is seeking to reestablish the so-called nuclear deal with Iran that Mr. Trump pulled us out of, but that Barack Obama got us into and paid $150 billion American dollars, your tax dollars, that he flew over to the mullahs of Iran to seduce them to sign the deal so he could have bragging rights as a president. That's what he did. He gave us nothing. Carolyn Glick goes on to say, since supporting Iran and undermining Israel are the founding principles of Biden's Middle East policies, Israel's leaders must prepare for what awaits us. She said, we are about to be scapegoated. Now, when you hear the word scapegoat, you need to lift up your head because it has to do with the way the world and the nations have traditionally used both Israel and the Jews. They become the scapegoats. We'll get rid of our problem by putting it on the head of the Jews. So, she says, in 2014-15, in their efforts to sell their original cataclysmic nuclear deal with Iran, Obama and his advisors ran a campaign to demonize Israel and its supporters in Congress specifically and in the U.S. public life more generally. Now that Biden has agreed to an even more dangerous nuclear deal, Israel can expect the demonization campaign that awaits it to dwarf its predecessor. In fact, as we see with the administration's efforts to scapegoat Israel directly, through its media partners and through the Ukrainian leadership, for not being sufficiently anti-Russian, the campaign has already begun. The Saudis and the Emirates clearly already recognize the sucker's game Biden and his team are playing. Last Wednesday, the Wall Street Journal reported that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed of the United Arab Emirates Both refused to accept phone calls from Biden. Israel's leaders should follow them in accepting reality and acting accordingly before the situation deteriorates still further. In other words, she's saying, don't play the game with Biden. He will and is betraying you. Now, before we get back to the Temple Mount, I want to... uh, help us to understand that this problem uh, of betrayal of the Jewish people, scapegoating and anti-Semitism is exceedingly broad. This report came out today, 
85% of French Jews believe anti-Semitism is widespread in France. Now, France was once the epicenter of a very, very famous legal case, the Dreyfus case, and it had to do with the Jews. France has not always been the place of liberty, equality, and fraternity. A recent French survey on anti-Semitism found that 85% of French Jews believe that anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic sentiments are widespread in France. 64% of the general population, non-Jews in the country, and 85% of Jewish community feel that anti-Semitism is ever-present in French society. And you thought that we, in the United States, had all the problems? 20% also said that they were victims of anti-Jewish physical assault at least once. That's in France. You know the French Enlightenment? The French Revolution? Liberty, equality, fraternity? Except not for Jews. All right, now we go back to the Temple Mount. The Mikdash, that's the word for temple, educational center, in conjunction with Rabbi Hillel Weiss, the former spokesman for the Sanhedrin, has minted a silver coin to promote a practical effort to establish the third temple. Before we go further, let me explain the Sanhedrin for those of you who are not familiar with the term. The Sanhedrin was the establishment of the Jewish, almost the Jewish high court. Seventy-one elders, rabbis of Israel, the most respected elders of Israel. The high court, the Sanhedrin, disappeared for 1,600 years until, I think it was 2004, when it was reestablished. So they call it the nascent Sanhedrin, which means the Sanhedrin that is being reborn. Come back from history and is being reborn for prophetic fulfillment. So this Rabbi Hillel Weiss was the former spokesman for the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin was reborn precisely to focus on the rebuilding of the temple, 2004. This new coin that they're promoting to establish the third temple contains 10 grams of pure silver, and represents three times the amount of the biblical silver half-shekel that was donated by every Jewish male to finance the daily operations of the temple, even during Jesus' time and before. Rabbi Weiss emphasized that the minting of this coin was timed to coincide with the beginning of the Hebrew month Adar, 
when these coins were collected for the temple? Well, guess what? It is currently the Hebrew month of Adar. The 70 nations that they anticipate to come would come to the temple in Jerusalem on the pilgrim feasts and interact. They would express their dedication to the common values of the seven Noahide laws. And this would help establish the basis for healthy commerce. The seven Noahide laws? That's a movement, friends. Whether you realize it or not, it is a movement behind the scenes worldwide to reestablish what the rabbis claim and what the Sanhedrin claims is necessary for Gentiles to be called righteous Gentiles. Now, in order to fully understand the depths of the Noahide laws and their import, you are going to necessarily need to get a copy of my next book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. An entire chapter is devoted to the Noahide laws. You cannot understand the complete dynamics of what is taking place until you understand the dynamics and the import of the Noahide laws. They're explained in detail in that book that will come out in June. Rabbi Weiss said that what we now have is virtual money, not real money, and it's controlled entirely by rulers who do not fear God, virtual money whose worth is determined by the fantasies of men. He said the value of real money must be based on gold or silver. So our money is based on a fantasy, a fantasy that it's worth something, but it's only worth something to the extent that you attribute any value to it because it has no value. And that's why the Fed can print billions or trillions of dollars and flood the market with all this new money and has the effect of reducing the value of all the money you have in your pocket. That's called inflation. That's what inflation is. So the value of everything in your pocket is going down. The value of everything that you have in substance goes up, especially real estate. So inflation, when inflation happens and the value of your house goes from 100000 to 150 or 200,000, it's not a real increase in value. It's only a reflection of the decrease in value of the money in circulation. It's as simple as that. So this rabbi is saying, look, the world is playing games. Godless men, men who do not fear God, are playing games with money. He's right. Well, I said the temple was and will be the only hope for true peace among the nations. History has shown that any effort to bring the nations together that is not centered in Jerusalem, the city of peace, will end in catastrophe. So the Sanhedrin in 2007 
sent out a letter to the heads of 70 nations, Gentile nations, and urged them to participate in the rebuilding of the temple, the third temple. They said, the only way you're ever going to have peace on earth is to help us rebuild the temple. That's their viewpoint. I'm not saying that's the only way to have peace, because it isn't. The only way to truly have peace is to embrace the Prince of Peace. But they don't. Therefore, they have to have the temple. It's the only way they can make their sacrifices. And if the Jews can't make their sacrifices for their atonement, then the world can't come into peace, they say. So this coin that is being minted now, the silver half shekel, was required from the Jews, but the temple was also maintained by the nations from any person seeking to be part of the house of the God of Israel. So, the temple in Jerusalem and a king of Israel are the most powerful elements in this battle for peace and must be recreated before the war of Gog and Magog or Gog and Magog fully materializes, says the rabbi. Well, right now, Israel is prepared to celebrate Purim, which is the time when Queen Esther intervened with the Persian king, Ahasuerus, and pleaded on behalf of her people because they were about to be destroyed by a wicked plot by Haman in the Persian government. And Esther came to the kingdom for such a time as that to plead on behalf of her people. Purim is the result. This coin now that is coming out features a crown and the Hebrew name David representing the Davidic dynasty that will be established at the end of days. The term Sanhedrin court is embraced, embossed on the face of the coin. The reverse side is embossed with an image of pilgrims ascending to the temple and the words temple coin in English, Hebrew, and Persian. That coin is a huge symbolic illustration of the intersection of biblical prophecy and history. And it's happening right before our eyes. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Do it today. Don't delay. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.